All right, again, Hebrews, and we talked about this last week. Uh, the context of the whole letter is because of suffering, there's people that are just walking away from Jesus because they don't want to lose family. They don't want to lose business. Uh, they don't want to lose life and limb in some cases. And so whoever wrote Hebrews, and we don't have a clue, uh, was really hammering down on them, not holding back. I did find five interesting. I don't know what exactly caused him to say this. Perhaps they had heard things that they were no longer willing to accept about the Son. That's kind of where I stand with this now. But if you remember, uh, this word right here could also be translated as what? You've become dull of hearing. Y'all remember? Lazy. Lazy. Yeah, you've become lazy with the Word of God. Uh, so that's interesting to think about in what respect, because I know that we would translate that or apply that very differently. If I said we become lazy with the Word of God, you would immediately go, ah, oh, I've got to get up earlier. I don't necessarily think that that was the case with them. I think they've become lazy with the Word of God because they just quit holding to it. They were just kind of backing away from its truths because the truths were costing them a lot of things. Don't really know for sure, but you do know that the result of being lazy in whatever way with the Word of God makes us all childlike, and that's not a good term. Uh, where Jesus tells us to have a childlike faith, that's not what he's talking about here. You're acting like babies when you ought to be acting like adults. In fact, he tells them to go back, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles. And do you remember how that could literally be translated? ABCs. I got to start all over the ABCs because you're just, you're abandoning these truths, okay? And we, we talked about this a great deal, but I hope you're not getting over it so quickly. Uh, remember, this is how disciples are made, through the teaching of the Word of God and through obeying it. So we have much to learn. Um, he goes on to say, solid food is for the mature, who because of... See that right there? That's the hard work of application. Taking the Word of God and putting it into practice. It does little good for us to store it in our brains and never pull it down to use it. Okay? Uh, and through the practice of it, we have our senses trained to discern what is right and what is wrong. And we live constantly in that context. Um, and that's difficult. Things are not always black and white. Just had a conversation with somebody recently. Things are not always black and white. Things are very difficult. And if you're not loaded up with the Word of God and bent in prayer, if you come to the right conclusion, it'll be a miracle, right? But we are to hold tightly, learn diligently, put into practice, and so that we can walk in wisdom constantly. Anyway, he wants to go on leaving the elementary teachings about Christ. Let us press on. This is the goal to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and so on and so forth. And he says, and this is exactly what we're going to do if God permits. So in other words, and we're, we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians and see what maturity looks like in the church, but this is the goal. The goal is not for you to be like children in your thinking. The goal is for you to be filled with wisdom. 
and walk maturely and wisely and not let foolishness get the best of us. Okay? And he's not, you got to realize, he's not talking to pastors. And I feel like where you'd need to start would be with pastors teaching these principles. But he's not talking to the elders. He's not talking to deacons. He's talking to every single solitary soul in the church. We need to press your life on to maturity. Okay? Uh, there was an illustration. And then I, I made note of this last time. Paul always ends on a positive. We are convinced of better things. He's never critical. He never browbeats anybody if this is Paul. Uh, but this guy's acting a lot like Paul here. He's just saying, I'm absolutely convinced you're going to turn the corner on this thing. And of course, love hopes all things. And this is just a demonstration of that love. I really hope that you're going to turn the corner on this thing and keep walking forward. All right, so turn with me to 1 Corinthians. I think, how did you turn to Hebrews? Let me, hang on just a second. Let me make sure I'm finished with this. No, I'm not. Stay, stay, stay in Hebrews for just a second. Okay, so look at verse 9. I'm, I'm at verse 9 right here. Let me read on past this just a little bit. That's why I wanted you to turn there. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. He said, Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way, very hard way. Verse 10, God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you've shown toward His name in having ministered and in continuing to minister to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish, and that's the same word as lazy. You won't be lazy, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Okay? So he's really trying them to go on and put these things into practice so you won't be lazy. So you will imitate those of the past who obtain the promises by faithfully holding on to the truths, right, and practicing those things. So he ends with encouragement. And I didn't put that passage on there, but I did want you to see verse 10, because then he goes on to talk about Abraham. Through faith and patience inherit the promise. He was not lazy. He walked steadfastly. All right, now go to 1 Corinthians All right, this is Paul, and he's using the same language. He could not say some things that he wanted to say because of the way that they were acting. In other words, they too were babies in Christ, and he wants to change the way that they think. So you're in 3.1. I want you to back up to chapter 2 and look at verse 14, okay? He says, A natural man... 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 
A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised, but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But this last phrase is what I want you to see. But we, in contrast to the natural man, have the what? Mind of Christ. Now this is something you'll never grasp hold of, but it's eternal truth because it's recorded in the Word of God. When you're born again, you have the mind of Christ. But before you're born again, you have the mind of a natural man, and all of this is absolutely foolishness to him. He cannot understand it. So these things are spiritually discerned. So yes, you can understand the wisdom of Christ, and yes, you can apply the wisdom of Christ because you've been given the mind of Christ. And if you'll think about your thinking, you'll probably want to argue with the Word of God right there because I often do. I'm like, I can't have them. It's just not possible because some of the things that I think about. But because you have a desire for these things and because you can understand these things and because you want to apply these things, you do have the mind of Christ. So you can't use this as some kind of, well, I don't understand. You might not understand because you haven't applied yourself to understanding it. They, that may be the only reason you don't understand. Because the Lord has done something in your mind when you came to faith in Christ. Okay? But that's why he starts chapter 3. He's frustrated. You have this, but you're acting like babies because you're not heeding what you know to be true. Okay? So let me read part of these passages and then we'll get on to uh, the next section. He said, Brother, I could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. You weren't able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able because you are still fleshly. And then he, very specific about fleshly, there's jealousy and there's strife among you. And because of that, and it's unrepentant, I just can't say some of the things that I need to say. You're just simply not going to take them or you're not going to receive them. Okay? You're just not going to receive it. Now, I'm not worried about the particulars. I'm worried about you grasping the picture of the forest here. The answer is always the Word of God. And so what happens is when we go through challenging times, difficult times at the church, circumstances are not the issue. The issue is how we respond to those circumstances. Are you going to respond in the flesh and in your own wisdom? Or are you going to appeal to the Word of God? That's always the question. And that's why you find in 1 Peter, if we had time, 1 Peter 5, we turn there. The shepherds are the one that are leading the body, the elders. They're the ones that are shepherding the body and providing a model for the body. Why is that? Why is it the elders that are in leadership in the church? Because those are the men who are given the Word of God. And what are they supposed to do with the Word of God every time they face circumstances of the church? They're 100% of the time supposed to appeal to the Word of God, not their own wisdom or thinking. See, God's got all this organized perfectly. And every time something goes south, He's wanting the whole church to turn to His Word and understand how we're supposed to walk through this thing. He doesn't need our ideas, doesn't even need our experience. 
He just simply needs a, a group of men to appeal to the Word of God, stand fast on it, and lead the church through it. How often does that happen? No, it's so sad. It's so sad. Because this is so simple. It's so simple. He's just wanting humble men to turn to the Word of God and obey it and lead the church through it. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. Uh, talks about the problem there. I'm going to skip through all that. Skip through all that. All right. Ephesians is the mature church. So turn with me to Ephesians. And I'll tell you, I, I think I'm going to, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep some slides up here. Ephesians chapter 4. All right, right before this, you'll notice in verse 4 of chapter 4, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is over all, through all, and in all. So he brings us together in unity as the body. But then God has given us this, 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 and this. Okay, so not this anymore, not this anymore, because we have the Word of God. But in many respects, we still can recognize this, and certainly we recognize this and this. So what does all those men have in common? The Word of God. That's the only thing that moves that group of men. I mean, if we want to go back before we had Scripture, the apostles and the prophets were absolutely, that's why they're first, necessary because they're receiving direct revelation from God. Now that we have it written down, you know, be terrified of any man who calls himself an apostle or a prophet. It's already written down for us. But the deal is, these guys are listed first as having been given to the church by God for the necessity of teaching the Word of God. That's it. And if you'll see, for the reason that they're given the Word of God is to equip the church for serving the Lord. Right? So you can see, it, it should have started this way and we should have never moved away from it, that the pulpit time would be an absolute serious teaching time in order to equip the saints because that is our primary designated time, okay? Now you can see works of service, but you also see the gold here. Until we all attain unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, back to the same goal. doesn't matter what book you look at. The goal is maturity. It's always maturity. Now, it, you know, it doesn't matter what job you hold. Y'all know what it's like for them to hire somebody new into that job and for them not to know anything. I mean, if you're a super patient person, that probably doesn't bother you. But if you're like the rest of us, those people kind of get on your nerves because they don't know anything. They're just kind of in the way. I was having a conversation with Michael last time I talked to him. Two guys that were running 
with him in the fire department, went on some codes and they didn't even know what to draw out of the case. And Michael was hollering at them trying to help this guy who was seasoned or something like that. And the guy says, finally says, I don't know what we're doing. And you're like, you have the job, you're supposed to be trained, you're supposed to know what you're doing. Michael finally just said, just, just get away from me so I can take care of this, right? We all know what it's like to not understand, to not know what we're doing. And those situations are supposed to be embarrassing to us. Nobody likes to be in that situation. Nobody likes to start on a new job and have no clue about what's not going on. For the life of me, I can't understand why we're not embarrassed when we don't know what to do according to the Word of God. It's like it doesn't even phase us. It's like we don't even consider that. And it should affect us. And it should cause us to study a lot harder and to spend a lot more time in prayer. It's not okay to go to work and not know what to do. Most of us have that kind of job. It's very detrimental for my job. And some of you, you have to know, right? I wish that the church took their faith so seriously in the very same way to go, you know, I ought to be mature. I've been rambling along in my faith for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I should be very mature. Now, y'all don't start into beating yourselves up because I'll argue with you, you're mature. I'm just speaking as overall for the whole church. But I mean, let's say you've been on your job for 10 years. You pretty good at it? Are you confident at it? Then why aren't we the same way with our faith? You know, this May, I'm 30 years. I'm pretty confident at it. Um, I remember being young when somebody called me to fill in in a store I'd never been to. I'd be real nervous that morning. Now, I don't care. I get calls from everybody, and I'm just like, if I can, I'll say, sure. I don't care. We'll figure it out. You know, there's a confidence after 30 years. It just doesn't bother me anymore. Our Christian faith should be very sim similar not an arrogance. I'm not talking about that. I'm just, a, I understand the Word of God. I understand how to apply it now. So we're supposed to be a mature man. Look at, as a result, notice this, no longer this. No longer children. And the thing about children is, he uses an illustration here, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. In other words, if we're not mature and you hear something, you don't know if what you're listening to is truth or a lie. You don't know if it glorifies God and it's consistent with His Word or if it's absolutely wrong. Maturity is necessary. Now let's say, Dad, you get a job out of town and you move out of town. Are you going to be able to walk into a church as you start visiting churches, sit down and listen to what's taught and go, we're not going here. I can tell you off sermon number one, we'll never be back. Or are you able to sit there and listen to that and go, okay, that's pretty good. We'll be back next week and sit there through a season of listening and go, okay, he's exegeting or teaching the word of God faithfully. This will be, this will be okay. What's the number one reason now? It's all kinds of stuff. Oh, will I have a solid youth group? Because my kids are, you know, that, that's the concern. Oh, what's the music like? You know, the music's got to be really good. I, the only reason I say this because I don't think this is any of y'all 
But that sounds like kids picking a church. Did I enjoy it? Did I feel good? Was the music good? Was he interesting? Do they have a big youth group? I'm like, and people tell me that, I'm, like, I'm thinking, you need to be more mature in your faith. Those things are not unimportant, but it starts right here with the Word of God or your family's not going to mature. It's not going to grow. So this is the mature church. There's men in leadership. They're equipping the saints with the Word of God. The goal is to mature everyone in Christ. That way, when they get down to verse 14, they hear something wrong, they'll stand up and say, no, 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 that's wrong. You think about how many different views there are in the church regarding sexual morality and sexual issues that day. And I said this Sunday, I believe, we all should be of the same mind because Scripture is very clear on the issue. Very clear. I mean, it's not even gray. But yet we've got all these people, right? Uh, there was a church... A Methodist church that voted to stay Orthodox and there were people yelling out in the congregation almost had a fight was on the news because one side wanted to go to the liberal interpretations of the day half of them wanted to stay with the Orthodox and they dismissed church the pastor told everybody to go home because he's afraid there's a fight about to break out I mean, why we got more than two opinions on some of those issues we're not even supposed to have anything but the truth of scripture but that's why we just get carried about, tossed about. We're like children. But speaking the truth in love, we are too. He keeps coming back to it. Grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ for whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In other words, every single person has a part to play. And we talked about this last week, so I'm not going to stop here too long, but you know, if Chris decides to go south, it affects the whole house. And that should make sense to us because when dad goes south at home, it affects mom and it affects the kids. And God has designed the church as nothing but a larger family, right? And so when one member goes south, it affects the entire body. Verse 17, so I say this together and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. That's a pretty harsh word. Because of the hardness of their heart, they've become callous. They've given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard of Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus. That in, former to your, in reference to your former way of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind... And you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness. Now from Sunday, what did we learn about the old self? He died. When did the old self die? Both answers are right. When we got saved, when Christ died. 
Now that's why Cody's talked about this too before. Christ died beyond time and space. In fact, Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world, right? But when we put our faith in Christ, that goes into effect in the mind of God legally binding that at the moment we come to faith, we died when Jesus died, meaning our old self died on that day we profess faith in Christ. But what happens to the new self? He's born. The new self that is centered in Christ, that possesses Christ, is born on that very day. So on what day beyond time and space were we born again? When Jesus was raised from the dead. We were raised in newness of life. This is what we talked about Sunday, right? But he puts in between, in Ephesians, in between the old self when we died and the new self when we were born again, he puts this little phrase here. Let me back all this out. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How in the world are we renewed in the spirit of our mind? We take hold of that book that's lying in your lap. Those are the principles that you put into practice. And by the way, this is in a present tense. That'll happen until the day you die. Hopefully. It's happening every day as you spend time in the Word of God. So in between this old and this new, this right here is being changed. Because if this does not change, you don't change. But if this changes, everything changes. Now, this is really going to help us when I get to what's next. So just hold on to that, okay? Uh, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you is neighbor, for we are members of one body. And then he gets out to all these exhortations. Be angry, do not sin, do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So those are the practical outworkings of a new life in Christ. But those things are absolutely impossible unless we have new life in Christ, right? So let me ask you this. Do you ever get bitter, angry, or slander anyone? Are y'all scared to answer? I definitely get angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is where the new man has changed. How does the new man respond when the old self makes himself known? The new self quickly turns to repentance. The new self recognizes my anger is not okay. The new self recognizes what I just said in this unwholesome word is not an okay thing for me to say. And so those are the evidences of genuine conversion, not just the ability to stop saying unwholesome words, but what goes on inside of your heart that realizes this, this needs to stop, right? This needs to change. But by the way, you'll be under that process until you pass away. And then the moment you pass away, you'll be perfected in Christ. But you understand what I'm saying. It really boils down to this. 
be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just like God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. We're being renewed back to the image of God. That's sanctification, and that's exactly what Cody's about to walk us through. At the end of the day, you're being made just like Jesus. That's the process. And the more you become like Christ, the more mature that you become. All right, I'm about to shift gears just a little bit with a few slides. Any comments or questions about that? Because this is Romans 6, too. We're doing the same thing on Sunday morning. All right, sometimes in overly zealous presentations of genuine Christianity, a biblical faith is depicted errantly or wrongly as though it were faith plus works. When this happens, the gravest or worst of all theological errors has occurred. Sometimes initial repentance is defined too concretely. If initial repentance is characterized as being essentially a change of lifestyle, rather than an initial change in attitude and outlook as prompted by the Spirit, then some kind of meritorious work is added to faith, thereby denying a biblical salvation of by grace through faith alone. Let me give you the passage and then I'll explain. Galatians 1. We've talked about this in Sunday school, I believe. I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we've preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Or am I now speaking for the favor of men or the favor of God? Am I still trying to please men or still trying to please Christ? In other words, when we talk about all this stuff, don't take it too far. Remember, I always told you there's two errors, right? We just moved out of one error to where you can sin and live however you want to. Now we're moving into the other error where you concretely define what it means to be converted or saved. You can't add anything to faith alone and Christ alone. If you do, you've messed up the gospel entirely. So in other words, when somebody's changed, are you immediately going to see change in behavior? Probably not. What you are going to see is a different attitude toward Christ, a different inner disposition that wants to reflect Christ. But he's still a baby in Christ. So somebody that's converted are still going to do dumb things, they're still going to say dumb things, and they're still going to have to go the process of maturing in Christ. Right? But the Spirit's going to be faithful and carry him through that. You can't say, well, I know he got saved Sunday, but I heard him talking Monday, and I don't think nothing real happened. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't put that kind of burden on them immediately. It is a change in the inner man, and it will result into changes in their lifestyle. But don't add a lifestyle to the gospel. If you do, you've messed up the gospel. The only thing that they added in, in Galatians was circumcision. And you've got to realize that defined the people of God for generation after generation after generation. 
if you were a follower of the one true God of Israel, you were circumcised. Now this grace alone and faith alone stuff comes in and somebody adds to it, well, you know, you still got to get circumcised if you want to be saved. I can't believe that guy professed faith in Christ and had been circumcised. There's no way he was converted. And Paul's like, if you do that, you have ruined the gospel. Likewise, you and I can't put burdens on people. Well, if they're saved, they'd really do this. Hold up. Pump the brakes. It's not ours to define. And I know that makes a lot of us uncomfortable, but that's not ours to define. It's not Jesus plus speaking wholesome words. Nor is it Jesus plus baptism. We've got to be really careful here. We need to remember not just conversion as well. We need to remember that we also walk by faith. We can make the same era of sanctification or work sanctification is no less serious. At every stage of this graciously wonderful salvation process, a faith that works is essential, but it's never faith plus works. In other words, when you're converted, it's faith alone, grace alone. When you're made more like Jesus, it's still that faith and it's still that grace that's doing that. We're not, I'll take it back to my same analogy, you're not bird dogs with shock collars on trying to get life right. That's not what I talked about Sunday. You've been changed on the inside. Now through understanding the, wor the word of God and the wisdom of God, you're applying those things and you're being changed on the outside. In fact, Look at, look at what Paul will finally get to. Go to um, Romans chapter 8. This is how serious sin is. Go to Romans chapter 8. Let's start in... Verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Christ, or the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, I said all that to get to verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, sinful flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Don't let what I just said run you up back over into the other ditch. You got to be very careful here. You can't say if they're saved, if they got saved on Sunday, they'll stop doing that stuff on Monday. But at the same time, you can't say if they got saved on Sunday, don't worry about what they do on Monday. If they keep doing it for the rest of their lives, you just run it back across the road. He's very clear to say, if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. He's very clearly teaching us that if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you're going to do battle with your sin in your life. And if you don't give a rip about the sin in your life, the Spirit of God does not live in your life. See, this is, this is, we have to be so careful here. 
And we really have to watch what we say. And we really have to have the heart of the Apostle Paul. He's going to assume the conversion and he's going to teach them and he's going to really long for them to take hold of these things and apply them to their life. Okay? Galatians 3. So Galatians 1 was about salvation. Galatians 3 is about sanctification. Where he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Obviously by faith. Are you so foolish then, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul's saying, okay, now for the process of sanctification, are you going to go back to the law and just keep the law in order to be made more like Christ? That's not at all what we do. We're not here to keep the law. We're here to be led by the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the body. Now, that probably doesn't 100% snap up here, but don't worry. It'll be a long time before we get to Romans 8. By the time we get to Romans 8, you'll, it'll be snapping up here. But we have to be very careful with these things and not get them one side or the other. We're converted by grace. We're sanctified by grace. But I don't want you to ever think that your salvation does not produce fruit. It's a guarantee. It's an absolute guarantee.